We are um, doing a series through Galatians, if you are joining us today for the first time. There's just a wonderful thread that runs through the entire book. And today, if you could imagine a boxing ring and Paul is setting up the law in one corner, ding, 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 in the other corner, we have grace. And what Paul does in this chapter 3 is he shows us, spoiler alert, that grace wins. And we're going to see just the argument that he puts forth. And it's so great to go through books of the Bible to get full understanding of how the Old Testament and the New Testament work together to just bring God's promises to life for us. So God gave the nation of Israel the law. And the law, the moral of the law, went like this, or the essence of the law. Do, and you'll live. In fact, in Leviticus 18, I wonder if you've ever read Leviticus. It's, it's a book full of laws. And the Jewish nation was governed by these laws. There's a tremendous amount of laws. And many of us, when we start reading the Bible from Genesis through, we often get a bit unstuck at about Leviticus because it's just one law after the next. But Leviticus 18 verse 4 says this, you must obey all my regulations and be careful to obey all my decrees. For I am the Lord your God. If you obey my decrees and regulations, you will find life through them. So what Paul is doing now is he is putting forth the message of grace, friends. And the essence of grace is this. Believe and live. The law says do and live. Grace says believe and live. Access, we, you and I, we access grace through faith in Christ Jesus. God's done an amazing job on reminding us that this morning, just from the beginning of this service. And this work, friends, is enabled by His Holy Spirit. Let's... Go to Galatians, and we are in chapter 3 this week. We're going to read from verse 1 to 5. Paul is using quite strong language. Paul, remember, is a freedom fighter. Literally, he is fighting for people's freedom. He's urging them not to get caught in the bondage of the law. He followed the law to the letter. That was Paul's past before he had a revelation of the person of Jesus Christ. He knew that the law does not hold the life that Jesus does. So he's urging the Galatian church. He says, I'm reading from the NLT. Oh foolish Galatians, who's cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you'd seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your Christian lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? 
Have you experienced so much? Have you gone through so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles amongst you because you obey the law? Of course not. It's because you believe the message you heard about Christ. And we see in verse 11, and we're going to reference it just now, in the ESV it says, the righteous shall live by faith. And so here Paul is putting forth the argument that actually faith goes beyond the law. Faith supersedes the law because faith helps us access grace. Now, if you are following through the study of Galatians, it would be really great for you to read the book of Romans because in these two books, they actually fit together. They're like a, a biblical sandwich because Paul, as a freedom fighter for the truth of God, for Jesus to be the, the truth, the life, and the way, he's had that revelation. And what he puts forth in the book of Romans and the book of Galatians is this. In Romans, he explains to the church how we are made righteous. We read there, the righteous shall live by faith. So in Romans, he puts forth how we are justified, in other words. And it's such a rich, rich book to understand the justification that Jesus buys for us on the cross. And then in Galatians, he explains the shall live part. He's helping the Galatian church understand how that justification or that freedom is lived out. So let's look at what the law cannot do. If you've been following the last few weeks, you would have picked some of these things up. The law cannot justify us. The law cannot forgive us. The law cannot give us righteousness. We see that in Galatians 2. Paul explains that. The law cannot give us the Spirit of God. The law cannot guarantee spiritual inheritance. The law cannot guarantee our spiritual inheritance as children of God. The law cannot give life or liberty. And that's in chapter 4, which we'll look at next week. So that's what the law cannot do. And Paul is reminding the church of that. So one would ask, why would the church be turning back to the law? Why does Paul have to write this strongly worded letter to urge them not to turn back? Friends, it's an interesting thing because even today, some of us have experienced the freedom of Christ and yet we find we want to turn back. Let's look at some of the reasons why we find ourselves turning. The law appeals to the flesh. Because it's based on achievements. If you're a type A personality and basically anybody else too, we like lists of achievements. We've ticked the boxes. And so if you were a Jewish person, you had a lot of boxes to tick. And you could get quite prideful about the boxes that you ticked. You could measure how well you had been doing in following the law. 
So to turn back to ticking boxes and following the law can often be because we need to feed our pride. The law also satisfies the senses. And um, in John 4, verse 24, we are urged to worship in spirit and in truth. But when we follow the law, it often appeals to our senses, what we can see, what we can hear, what we can taste and touch. And we create systems and behaviors that appeal to these senses. And then also the law, as I said, we're, it helps us to measure and compare. That's what the law traps us into. And you and I are susceptible to those traps today. And so we take what Paul is writing to the Galatians and we learning today what God is saying to us. So living to the law, Paul's very clear. He's saying that'll take you on a path to bondage. You will not find life. You will not find freedom. He urges the church, don't do that. Why? Because you will never be able to satisfy the law. Remember when God gave the law, he gave the option for the Israelites to continually make sacrifices. Why? Because they were always breaking the law and falling short of the law. So in Galatians 3, let's go to verse 10. It says, Those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scripture says, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So it's clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say, It's through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says it's through obeying the law that a person has life. So we see very clearly Paul is making this distinction. They are, they are not the same thing. They are two different paths, two corners in the boxing ring. Let's go back a step, church, to really understand God's promise and why the law was only part of that promise, and why grace is the fullness of that promise. In Genesis, if we go back to Genesis 15, we find an incredible encounter between Abraham and God. And if you go and read that, you'll see it's quite, a, it's quite an amazing interaction because God initiates this interaction with Abraham. And he speaks to Abraham and he makes a promise to Abraham. And it's a covenant promise that's not dependent on Abraham's good behavior. Um, it's dependent on God's good character and his love for us as his people. So in Genesis 15, God makes a promise to Abraham and he says, I will be with you. You will be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. And you will be a father of those nations. Now, friends, after that encounter with, 
with God that Abraham has. He gets circumcised as evidence of this encounter. It's kind of like to remind him of this promise. So the amazing thing is if we stop to think about it, God's promise and covenant was made before Abraham did anything on his part to qualify himself for that promise. God initiated it. God promised it to him. And he promises it to us today. And if we go to Romans 4, 13, as we said, Romans is a good mirror book for Galatians. It says God's promise was based not on his obedience, on Abraham's obedience to God's law, but on right relationship with God. That comes by faith. It's through faith in Jesus Christ that we are able to have right relationship with God. And so we see that actually through Abraham's bloodline, Jesus Christ is born into this this world. And he is given to us as the ultimate sacrifice. The law came 400 years after God's promise to Abraham. And that law came through Moses. The law was limited. We see that in Scripture. And you might be asking, well, then why? What was the purpose of the law? Why did God give the law when he did that? Let's have a look at answering that question. The law did serve a purpose. Remember, God had a long-term plan for his people. In Galatians 3, verse 19 to 26, we see the purpose of the law revealed, and we see that the law revealed sin. That's what the law did. It was a standard, and it revealed sin when behavior was measured up against it. To an extent, the law controlled behavior. It brought about a control to people's behavior that brought an order to society. The law, as I said, controlled outward behavior. What the law couldn't do was control the heart. The law also prepared the way for Christ. And we see the need for Christ when we see that we are sinful and we have no way of meeting the demands of the law given by our holy God. Let's read. We're still in chapter 3. You're still with me? Let's go to verse 23. Paul is putting out a very strong, it's like a legal argument that he's busy with here. So when we put forth passionate arguments, we don't want things to get lost along the way. So we're taking this in bite-sized pieces today. So talking about the law and the purpose it served, in verse 23, it says, Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under God by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way was revealed. It's a good translation there of helping us get a picture of what the law did, what purpose it served. Verse 24, let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now the way of faith has come. We no longer need the law as our guardian. Isn't that wonderful news? The law was a temporary measure. And then Jesus came. 
and the law has been satisfied through his death on the cross. The fullness of God's promise is revealed through Christ Jesus, and it's found in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.22. We read it a minute ago. It says, The scriptures declare, We are all prisoners of sin, so we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Christ. So Paul is underlining that for us. He's saying, there's one way. There's one way to access the person of God and be forgiven sin, and that is through Jesus. So we've looked at the law what it can't do, what it could not do, and can never do. We've looked at the purpose of the law, why God gave it. And now we're going to look at the power of the promise. Because remember, the law fitted into the promise. The law was by no means the ultimate of God's promise. The Jewish law dominated every aspect of life. Can you imagine waking up and having to follow such a set ritual of laws every day? Laws that concerned your dress, your food, who you could be with, when you could be with them, if you go and read some of those laws. The law dominated life. The law also created distinctions created differences, differences and distinctions amongst individuals, amongst nations, food, animals. The law put all of those distinctions in place. If you were a Pharisee, every day of your life, you would have prayed a prayer like this. The Pharisee's daily prayer. I thank thee, God, that I am not, sorry, that I am a Jew and not a Gentile. That is what the Pharisees would pray. Thank you that I'm a Jew and not a Gentile, a man and not a woman, a free man and not a slave. And then comes Jesus and he changes all of that. Galatians 3.26 For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Isn't that powerful? Through the death of Jesus Christ, you and I are all one. We belong to the family of God. Not only that, but we are all of value. There is no longer this class distinction. We are all heirs of the spiritual blessing that was promised to Abraham. So 
as Jews, as Gentiles, as men, as women, as slaves, as free men, as bosses, as employees. We are all equal and loved by God. So in conclusion, friends, to come back to the fullness of the promise that Paul is highlighting here. What he's saying is don't settle for the law because there is something so much better. Faith in Jesus Christ allows us to be born again into the family of God. It allows us a personal relationship with him. Through the law, God identified the nation of Israel as his through the law that they practiced. So the nation of God was known as God's nation, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. But friends, through faith in Jesus Christ, we've just read that you and I are his children. It's a personal relationship. Can you see how Jesus makes the way open from a nation being known as God's nation to a child being known by his or her father. God identifies you and, my, you and I as his child. We're going to end with this verse from Galatians 4, verse 5, and we're going to look at Galatians 4 in the week to come. But it says, God sent Jesus to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. What a beautiful truth, friends. What a truth for you and I, that faith in Christ is what qualifies us to have access to God. It is not our works. It is not our acts. It's not our striving. Faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Won't you stand with me, please? As I said, it's so easy to be caught up thinking in the way that the law does, behaving in the way that the law does, comparing the way that the law does. And Jesus is reminding us today that we're qualified through his death on the cross. If you're here this morning and you have really thought of a relationship with God as one of rules and regulations and law, I want to ask you today, won't you let Jesus show himself to you personally? That's what he's inviting you into, is a relationship. If there's anybody here who'd like to do that, just raise your hand now. We're not going to call you to the front. We're going to pray with you afterwards. But we want to give you that opportunity to enter into this personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you know Jesus, perhaps like me, you easily start turning back to the things of the law. Won't you join me as we just revel in the grace of God, as we allow that truth to grab our hearts a fresh way this morning. God, I want to thank you for your word. Thank you for stopping us in our tracks this morning. Thank you, Father, for just showing us again that there's nothing that we can do to earn our relationship with you. I want to thank you, Jesus, that as we stand here, we are your children because you shed blood on the cross and afforded us forgiveness when we didn't deserve it. Help us, God, as your church, not to turn back to the things of the law, 
not to turn back to things that will hold us back, God. But as we stand on the work of the cross this morning, that confidence would arise in our hearts, Lord. We are qualified because of you. And Father, I pray that we would help others to live in freedom, that we wouldn't put law on others, God, by comparing. Oh, Father, help us to live in your freedom as your children. Thank you, God. Thank you that not only are we your church, not only are we your people, but we are your children. And we come as children this morning, God. We are reminded we are so dependent on you. There is nothing that we can bring you except our hearts and our love and our obedience and response, God. And so I pray for us as your church that we would live to glorify you in the precious grace that you have brought us. In Jesus' name, amen.